0: Talk Pro Talk. Film Squawk. Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagnino, 2018. In the year 1977, a Mennonite apostate from Ohio is accepted to the world-renowned Berlin Marcos Dance Company, where an enigmatic artistic director, a grieving psychiatrist, and a skeptical company dancer all work to unearth divergent truths. So, a yay. A yay from each of us. Why, all of you should go out and see Suspiria.
1: Oh, let's uh, start us off here. It's Stacy here on the uh, microphone. Uh, my yay is Tilda Swinton, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Juicy. Gonna have to unpack that later. Mm. Mine is that it is a slow burn Sitting in the theater, I was, like, not sure if I liked it or not. And then after the movie, I got really excited about it, and I was like, I think I love this movie. Slow burn, in a good way.
0: And my yay is that Suspiria 2018 is a feast.
1: hmm
0: How about a nay? Maybe a reason why a listener should skip this remake
1: I have a nay with the very end, kind of a questionable, unsatisfying ending.
2: My nay. It's so stupid. My nay. (laughs) It's so trivial. And I feel bad saying it because I read about Dakota Johnson and all the work she did. She just didn't. I did not buy her as a dancer. And then Stacey and I have talked about this. So it's like the most trivial nay. I'm not going to fully unpack that actually because it has spoilers in it um but yeah at the very beginning when she came into the dance school and was dancing I was like look at her butt that has never danced <laughs> it's life." Aw. so I had a hard time at first with that but again sitting with the film and then thinking about it I got to a point where it wasn't that big of a nay so still a nay profound nay for me Boom. sorry Dakota Johnson your butt is great it <laughs> just doesn't look like you've danced very much
0: and to choose a nay, I think I will echo a bit of what Stacy said. And it ricochets off of my yay. So yes, this this film, 2018 Suspiria, is a feast. But in the end, the feast made me a
2: little sick. Mm-hmm. You have different reasonings for mm-hmm. your ending mm-hmm. complaint. I think, mm-hmm. or not a complaint. Nay. Nay. <laughs> I'm so excited to get to spoilers. <laughs> um, so Here we are. Here we are.
1: Who
0: has seen <laughs> the Dario Argento original,
1: 1977? Not I. Not I. I know.
0: This is Cassidy. going to be so interesting. I was hoping at least one of us had <gasps> seen it we, we were, were hoping. Born. I know. I, I was yeah. so...
2: <laughs> I've read a lot about it at this irritated point. Irritated that I didn't do that.
0: Well, you know, I when I started to dig, um, there was a lot said about individuals who don't consume original source material before approaching new work. And I had a lot of mixed feelings about that because, you know, I don't go out and read every book per film or every film per, per book. I don't go out and, you know, try and scrape together the original story of essentially what has created all story. Um, it all is pieced together. And I heard, um, or rather I read, a lot of differing opinions that supported the idea of not viewing the original before walking into the theater for this 2018 Suspiria because of how thematically similar and thematically different it is. Um, it's like the, the there's a plot element that's similar, but there's so much... Um, that's been evolved.
2: I, yeah, I'm more of that line of thought to go in blind. I don't mind reading like the backstory of the original content, you know? Um, but I felt like that was like a gift with stars born for me as well was I hadn't read anything prior to going in. And so it allowed the remake to be something fresh and new for me. Mm -hmm. Um, where, and then it makes me excited to go back and watch the source material. Um, yeah, I don't know. It excites me in a different type of way. And yeah, I like giving the remake an opportunity to be to stand on its own legs, I guess, without mm-hmm. going in with too many judgments. But that's just me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to watch it after now
2: to see the inspiration for the film. And all the colors. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Such a sucker for colors. Though this one was still beautifully rich in a way that what I know does. Yeah. Like he... I didn't realize that he was the same director as uh, Call Me By Your Name until
1: afterwards. <laughs> same.
2: And it made perfect sense, actually, throughout Suspiria. Like, the way that he popped colors, but in an understated style, was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I feel like he still nailed it, even though I'm super <laughs> excited to get my Technicolor on with the original.
0: This was billed as six acts and an epilogue.
1: How did that structure work for you? It worked great for me. Because, uh, once I went home and started to dig and I saw that it was a two and a half hour film, I was like, no, I there's had that no same way. <laughs> and so I was pondering that. I was like, hmm, that I never felt once that it was long, like I knew it, I don't know. I never was anxious to get out of my seat. Um, and so when I when I realized that it was two and a half hours long, I wondered if that marker of time, really helped um set expectations yeah you sort of reset with each chapter and so it feels fresh it was really helpful for me I loved it
2: I could feel the slowness of the pacing a little bit throughout yeah this movie is such a strange experience for me because part of there are things in the film I did not like a lot of things actually but it's such a good balance between things I really loved and things I didn't. And the pacing kind of had that same sort of push and pull with me. But then I was reading reviews. And I mean, essentially, it's all about like a rebirth towards the end. Right. And, and I saw this is so lame, but this is the parallel that I drew. I saw a woman that's very, very pregnant waiting to give birth. And the caption was patiently waiting. Mm-hmm and i was like oh my god that's what susperia made us do like we had to patiently wait through seven acts for payoff mm-hmm. or six i guess cuz that's when the payoff happens but still like you wait 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 you're waiting and then i read some critics that were talking about instead of being like a jump scare or like classically horrifying it gives you horror with patience mm-hmm. it's like what a cool metaphor even if it was unintentional for motherhood and oh yeah for birthing mm-hmm. a child you know it's just mm-hmm. Thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. So, in hindsight, I love the pacing. Even though I could feel it at moments, sitting in the theater, that it felt kind of slow. But
1: I think it's necessary for a film like that, or it really helps you digest it. Yeah, even if you do feel a little sick at the end, um I think it's really smart. And I, I don't know. Does anyone know if the original film did that, or was that just a creative? He added choice? over
2: an hour. Guaragnino. What I, to the 2018 reboot. Mm-hmm. So it's significantly longer. They're substantially more there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I
0: felt similarly about the, the act structure. I liked it specifically because it's a, like a long dance, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also it never felt like it was designed for the stage or written for the stage, um, though I'm sure you could translate it, but it would become so much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time the fourth act opened, I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, okay, so that means we're about halfway done. But we'd already met all four of the main protagonists. And I was thinking there is so much more to dig into here. And I I saw this film alone. And so I sat at the back of the theater at the very top, just like sort of reveling in this this feeling of there is so much more to experience. Um, I'm not sure if that I'm, I'm guessing it had something to do with the themes that we're going to unpack here, and just feeling very at home in the themes. And though I didn't feel, you know, like it was a jump scare film either, it definitely wasn't created to be one. There was a lot of suspense uh, that was also tempered by no suspense whatsoever for me. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. I felt the suspense in the story, but I also, as the person I am, as a woman. <laughs> I didn't necessarily hang on to the suspense in the same way because it was like an inner knowing, mm-hmm. but I still felt the, the forward momentum, the, the propulsion.
2: It was such a, it's a divisive film. Yeah. Like it plays with your um, everything. I feel like it plays with everything. Like mm-hmm. in moments I was even like, oh, the cinematography is a little over the top. And then I was like, no, I love it. It's just such a push pull. It's yeah. almost unnerving really. Cause you're like, how mm-hmm. do I even feel about this? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think I love it in some ways yeah
0: with him straddling different devices that were a lot more popular in the 70s like like snapzooms and mm-hmm. and how that can be really inundating to our current palette uh i that's what i mean by a feast it's like mm-hmm. a smorgasbord you know mm-hmm. of just beautiful visceral imagery uh that has been linked to too many horror films in the past. People creeping up the edges of doors, uh, just so many different pieces that are just hand plucked from our iconography of of horror. Mm-hmm. But all
1: the horrors removed. It's it's in a way. It's decadence. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of decadent art. Um, there were even a few camera movements that were panning over scenes, and then something would come into the scene, but then would cut. Um, which made me think of paint brush strokes. Like Mm -hmm. it had this painterly quality due to the way they moved the camera and the subjects that were like sometimes in the camera um, or the focus of the subject being – not the focus, but this. I'm sorry, the subject of what we're looking at is like askew Mm -hmm. or like – Kind of blurry. Kind of weird. And so it just – I felt like he was painting. Like the first half I felt, I just took it at face value – and just took in the film uh, just at that level.
2: And, and it made I felt it,
1: like I was watching a painting.
2: Yeah, and it made it very nuanced. Like I felt like many of the shots, like I aspire to get some of those shots because they were things you wouldn't even think necessarily to capture. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was when um, – So when Patricia initially comes in to the doctor's office, I believe this is when this happens, she sits down in the chair, but it shows like a shot of the side of the chair Mm -hmm. and then a shot of like the foot of the chair. And then she sits down, but it's only her back. So you never actually see her face. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was, again, like very divisive, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And I could agree with you, Stacey, where it seemed almost like a painting because of how it distilled. Yeah, different aspects of the environment. Yeah,
1: it was almost like evidence, too, at times. I felt like. Images of evidence being scrolled through. Delicious feast. Artistic flick of the wrist, illuminating Mm -hmm. an aspect
0: in color Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have otherwise been illuminated with a head-on approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A brush-on approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like some of the cinematic choices, specifically camera work, really emphasized doubt. I almost felt at times, depending on which which scene we were operating in, that depending on what the camera was doing, I understood who was the protagonist in this moment, since we were working with so many, ultimately, I think about four. Mm -hmm. And so even when two protagonists were sharing a scene, depending on what the camera was doing, uh... That is sort of how I was able to navigate whose scene it was intentionally made for, like who was intentionally this, the focal point of that scene or that moment or creating the the forward motion for the next scene that maybe that other protagonist
2: will move into. But the central protagonist for this scene does not follow. That's such an interesting observation to make. I would just never see something like that while like taking in a film. That's so cool. Because with the different voiceovers and the way that they did that when they were talking mm-hmm. through their mm-hmm. minds, you know, that was again divisive. <laughs> like threw me off a lot. And that is such a good catch, Rochelle. Like I think a it's really the only way. Catch.
0: I think, yeah, I think it's the only way I kind of settled on the idea of multiple protagonists because it's not very it's not often done. It's we're pretty linear and pretty narrow when it comes to our storytelling. I mean, even just looking at how people have responded to A Star is Born and what it looks like to have one protagonist and their story being the central focus and it needing to be um, the be all end all. So then having a film that I ultimately decided, okay, no, this is this is four distinct stories that are working to be unpacked or explored, at least to a certain degree in this film, I think that the camera is what helped me get there.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Uh,
0: Whether that's accurate or not, I'm not sure. But it definitely um, aided my viewing experience um, and helped me palette a different way of storytelling that I found
2: evocative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this movie was so – I I do not like art house horror. I don't like it. And so I went in being like, fuck this movie. I don't (laughs) want to see it. I just like it. I was just really surprised mm-hmm. by how well-structured it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was just, I think, so much thought and planning put into every mm-hmm. single element of the film that I think it's a really easy movie to criticize, like knee-jerk, be critical of. But again, that slow burn, the more you think about it, you're mm-hmm. just like, wow, how well thought out. There's so many things, too, in this podcast I still want to talk about. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. The nudity, how he dealt with the f- female figure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Completely unobjectified. This is so cool. The dance. There's, yeah, we're gonna be here for like five hours, <laughs> listeners. Settle in.
0: Well, and something that Stacy mentioned, it's her her yay. We can probably begin with Tilda yeah. Swinton, if we're talking yeah. about female form and all it can do um, when possessed by a woman herself, mm-hmm. versus at the the mercy of a man,
2: supposedly. Uh how about Tilda as Dr. Oh my God, Kemperer. Oh I didn't gosh. realize that she was him, but in the Stacy told me after so I think Neil knew did Neil it did, he had, yeah, he had told me. So Stacy knew going in. I had no idea and there was a moment I think when they were in the cafe eating cake where he talked for quite a bit and I was like, is that I thought it was a voiceover at first. I was like, is this are they playing because of the voiceovers they do with the witches when they're right speaking mm-hmm. telepathically? And I didn't realize it was Tilda until the end. But I had moments. Yeah, it's so divisive. <laughs> I know. Because I had moments yeah. being like, because I could hear her voice. That was it for me. I was like, is that Tilda Swinton's voice? But I thought it was a voiceover. And can I plug another fun fact about the original Suspiria? In the original, he played the score over loudspeakers the entire time. And they dubbed over all of the dialogue in post-production, which was a common uh, method of filmmaking for the time in Italy oh wow isn't that insane yeah. so I'm so excited to watch it because I'm sure that makes that film really disorientate disorienting too. I would
0: think so because it can't perfectly match
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I had no idea that that was this Swinton I uh, didn't know I yeah didn't look into it I didn't dig I went in without a lot of information because I just I, that's how I intended to approach it we weren't sure we were doing this as our Mm-hmm. As our podcast this month, because we're having a hard time getting some films locally mm-hmm. um, on time, and so it was
2: just such a beautiful discovery. Mm-hmm. And Stacy just told me today that she was the she was Marcos. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't but even I find about that, that in at my the reading. end. I didn't even. I, I guess I wasn't. I think I got up and peed right away when the credits started rolling because I was like,
1: I didn't even think to read them because I, I was just like. <laughs> Comatose.
2: Yeah, it was such a wild ride. <laughs> it was an experience to be had.
0: So yeah, I found I found her portrayal of him very convincing, and th- the idea that the only like prominent man is, is a, played by a I woman. Know. Yeah, it's pretty fucking. I know. Cool. I think there were
1: only three men in the film, and he until Tilda Swinton played one of them. The other two were just the, the police officers. yeah.
2: Yeah. Tell him about the prosthetics.
1: Oh yeah, Tilda wanted to have male genitalia on during the whole time so that she could feel it between her legs to help inform her acting, oh which my it did.
2: Like the gait of that old man. Oh <laughs> my gosh, that was like the most convincing old man walk I've ever seen. <laughs> well done, Tilda.
1: Just every time she is on screen, I am just stuck in the crosshairs. Like I feel stunned and I can't move. Because she's so enigmatic. Um and uh, she's just the biggest part of my yay. I wish she was on there all the time, even though she was. Yeah, she all days. the time. When she's just her though, I'm just so enamored. I feel like it's a glamour. I'm under a spell of some sort.
2: Well, and even Madame Blanc, I don't know, for me, she was the antagonist for so long and then she suddenly then she sw- was not. Yeah, she's switched, yeah. Which was just an interesting main character trait Mm -hmm. for me.
0: Well, yeah. Even just because you're not sure what she's doing Mm -hmm. when you, when it opens with there being a vote and you're Mm -hmm. not sure what the hierarchy is with this coven of witches. Mm -hmm. And then you move into a horrifying first uh, dance practice. Oh my gosh. And she touches, yeah, she touches Susie and you can see the glow Mm -hmm. and Olga's already run out and she seems like a villain. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also love during this podcast, though it's going to shift the conversation slightly, to talk about who the three mothers were in the film. For me, I think one of them could have been the woman with the black hair that looked Olga in the eyes. Because it, what are it's the sigh, the shadow, and the tears, or something? What are the three mothers? The sighs. The sigh. It's I size, it was size, 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 size. Darkness and tears, and mm-hmm. tears, and, and tears so, is the
0: oldest mm-hmm. and the most powerful.
2: Okay, so maybe it was the like weird mother Marcos, the like Jabba the Hut mother. But for me, I wonder if it was the woman with black hair because at the very beginning, when Clo when uh, Patricia goes to the doctor, she's telling him they took my eyes. They took my eyes, and they can see through my eyes. And then when Sarah's coming out of his office. The black haired woman is watching her and mm-hmm. it looks like his ex wife or his wife at first, but then it's the, or it looks like the witch first. And then it's, mm-hmm. it looks like his wife. I thought um, it looked like just a stranger, but. I think it was actually his wife. Maybe I'm just applying that. Well, like, it, my brain it was, is just... it
0: was his wife and, but it was, she thought it was Miss Tanner.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was another
0: Sarah thought it was Miss Tanner. Yeah. But then it changed to it his became, wife. it became Anka.
2: Yeah, it was Anka. Yeah, mm-hmm. it became Anka. Who what played the original Susie
0: mm-hmm. in the 1977? Oh
2: yeah. That's amazing. I know. Oh, I didn't know that. But so, anyway, when Olga's leaving, that woman looks her at the black haired witch, looks her in the eyes, and she starts crying and like can't see anything. And that, so I'm like, Are you the mother of tears? Are you mm-hmm. tears? Mm-hmm.
0: And I would like to go back and <laughs> count how many votes there were. Originally for Blanc, Madame Blanc, and how many votes there were for, mm-hmm. for Marcos. And then at the end, when Susie, when Mother Suspiriorum goes around and explodes heads mm-hmm. based on the vote, people who are supporting Marcos's deception. I want to know how many of those witches survived because I it was going by so quickly for me. I couldn't mm-hmm. go in and really dig because it was just all happening at once. But there were there were a few, and I feel like there were more than two.
2: Yeah, there the were. only two that I think probably stand out for you two are the redhead and the black haired woman
0: mm-hmm.
2: that I remember surviving. I can't and, remember if the blonde one survived.
0: And I I need to go back and and like I said in a sec in a second and third viewing really unpack that ending in in the sixth act. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I believe any other mothers are in the present. Um, I would have thought they would have risen up and taken power and been able to call into question this um, misguided affinity for Marcos. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she's a very powerful witch, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she ever had to be a mother, one of the originals. Yeah,
1: I felt like it was... These sort of sub leaders who became big fish, little pond, um, until Mother, arrived. until Mother Suspiriorum came in and cleaned house. So maybe he'll do the other two. Well, Inferno and that does make sense if it's a trilogy, it because mm-hmm.
2: yeah, the original is a trilogy. Where then the next two following Sisteria cover the other mothers. So, yeah, maybe they are just not present at all. And he was just being divisive again. <laughs> but the tears would have been a fun Easter
1: egg. Maybe that that's is just like that's you're what, what threw me off that. was
2: because of one of the mothers being called the mother of tears and the shot of her at the end when all the hellfires were like happening with death down in the basement. And she's sitting up on that balcony, like reflecting. You know, she's like not even involved in it. Mm-hmm. So it was also that shot that I was like, huh, <laughs> hello. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes me wish I had watched Inferno and Mother of Tears, yeah. the follow-up films. But yeah, at the same time, I, I'm i not sure if they're present. I, there's a question out there whether or not Susie was always Mother Suspiriorum or if she became Mother mm-hmm. Suspiriorum. Then you look back in the film, and it's pretty clear that from the beginning, her mother had an understanding of something about her daughter. Mm -hmm. She was always drawn to Berlin. Uh, She never was able to study dance, so her body didn't necessarily have the musculature or the capacity to dance, yet she could dance. Mm -hmm. Which is what
2: I concluded in I Reflecting on the (laughs) Film.
0: Dakota Johnson, your ass is great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and – I think if you're a dancer, you would pick up on those, those pieces. And obviously she came at dance in a way that really suited this specific, this specific company. So that leads me to understand or believe in her response to walking in on the witches taunting the policeman, oh my God. in her response of having absolutely no concern or fear, no matter how many times Sarah comes to her, her not being worried
2: in any way, shape, or form, uh, or holding back. I mean, even confronting Madame Blanc when Madame Blanc's like jump and she's like, "I need to be on the floor right now." Don't you think, Madame Blanc? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, she never had fear. I think she knew the whole time. Or it was part of yeah. just like something deep down in her where maybe she didn't like understand mm-hmm. who she was, her destiny. She was, yeah. The mother's. Suspir-
0: and I am interested in the idea of um, this fake Marcos character pretending to be Susperiorum and the idea that that is the mother of size and whether or not Madame Blanc was preparing Susie to take on. The mother of size and that had something to do with the leaps and her being larger than herself and expanding and growing. I don't know if it's a literal size. It's just fascinating to me mm-hmm. because if she had this desire to be of the earth, that could have been her humanity trying to tether her. But I mean, I'm, I'm reaching now. But the idea of her having to leap and to get larger mm-hmm. and to go beyond herself and to dig deep and expand out from the earth, that the earth is limiting her, Mm-hmm. It's it's compelling to think that that is um, synonymous with womanhood, with witchcraft, with mm-hmm. power, uh, and in the iteration that is Susie becoming Mother Suspiriorum is fairness
1: mm-hmm.
0: and thoughtfulness and
1: mercy. Yeah, yeah. The obliteration of
2: oppression. Yeah. But she does reach out into the ground and summon death.
0: But her, her mother—it's the actor who played her mother played death.
1: Wait, oh sorry, my say God. that again. The
0: actress, sorry, actor. Uh-huh. The actor that played <sighs> death <gasps> was Susie's mother.
2: <sighs> that was also a really Luka, good device, and that she was breathing. always
0: there because I think it's her nails. That we yeah. were seeing mm-hmm. scraping. Yeah. When I was trying to make it work in my head, being it being Mother Marcos with her little baby arms attached to her person arms and all her – we'll get to her form later. Um, but I, it was – she didn't have the nails and so I eventually pieced it together. Death has always been there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I – I, a little bit I, I taunted with the idea that her mother was Mother Tenenbarum,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the mother of darkness. Mm. But I'm not sure because she was – Definitely build as death. Mm -hmm, Yeah.
1: I wonder if they're different.
2: So interesting. Oh, what a fun movie. Yeah, the slow burn, because it's like a mystery to solve after you watch it.
1: Yeah, even the casting alone is a riddle there as well. I read that Tilda Swinton, it was her idea to portray all these characters. And so it was just that. But then Luca, in an interview, said that after they made that decision, he realized that she, there's this Freudian layer there with Madame Blanc being the ego, Dr. Klimper uh, as the superego, and then Madame Marcos as the id. So, which really doesn't impact the narrative. It's just there. there it's just a treasure box, it's a
2: device. It's just rich. I did read about with Mother Marcos and the weird baby arm thing that the first Suspiria was quite a bit more campy. I only read this in one place and I couldn't tell you the source. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, but that the first Suspiria was quite a bit campier. And so I feel like the. I feel like that was maybe Guaragnino's um attempt to pull in just like a tidbit of that, because. From that review that I read, he had tried to stay away from it and everything else because the content itself is a little bit campy, like a witch coven of dancers. Um, (laughs) But I felt like, for me at least, in reading about it, I wondered if that was him just trying to make a tiny homage to the campiness of the original, was with Marcos. And I thought it fit okay. It didn't bother me too much.
0: It definitely drove home why... She would need to feed on so many essences. Why the broken women were kept around? Because that, I really struggled with that. But the fact that she must be very old came across. I struggled ex- i so much. I struggled so much with uh, with her depiction. Um, I hated it, and I rarely say that, but I did. I, I hated it. <laughs> it made me want to laugh.
2: It made people in the mm-hmm. theater when we were there laugh.
0: And I was not in a place to want to laugh because it just – it did not fit for me. And it wasn't even like I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable because it's so horrific like we've mm-hmm. talked about in other podcasts.
2: No, it's just silly a It's little.
0: just – it's goofy and mm-hmm. I didn't think it was well executed. Um, I, I have nothing to say about the acting because it, the the form that the – what she was wearing – What just took over everything. I feel like Mm
2: -hmm. I feel like that about her and when Patricia is all grotesque in the basement as well, that was another kind of like Mm -hmm. step away for me a little bit. Yeah, I could understand some criticism on Marcos because I'm with you there. Even like her like the glasses she was Mm -hmm. wearing in the painting of her in the basement. I was like,
0: is it because her eyes are so bad? You would think if she's
2: this powerful witch, she
0: wouldn't need vision. That she would transcend Mm sight. But maybe that's just me putting my own story on someone else's story Mm -hmm. probably is.
2: Well, and it's so hard because the whole thing is so visceral. Like they go butcher shop horror, you know, really with all of the gore. And then you have like Jabba the Hutt, the mama. Like (laughs) like, seriously, you know what I mean? Like grunting in the corner with her baby arms being like (laughs) I'm flapping my wings like a chicken internet. (laughs) Um.
1: And maybe so, that's yeah. part of an homage to the that's original, I, to the source material that we're not connecting with. And so maybe that was, maybe that's in there because, yeah, I completely agree. It was so distracting. It was so distracting. And it could have worked, I think, if it were darker and you couldn't see so much, but you could see the weeping nipples and yeah, it was. it was, I wanted the lights off for that.
2: Yeah, I would have even preferred <laughs> just more of, like, a woman form. Like, I feel like just a woman that would have been, you know, would have freaked me out more you than, know, like, a weird. No, I didn't
1: mind, like, the kind oh, of I didn't mind. Yeah, I
2: didn't mind the boobs, okay. the leaky nipples. I actually didn't mind at all. Mm-hmm. It was, like, the fate. I don't know. Yeah. It was just the character design it was, of Mother Marcus. It was, so was strange. And maybe down. there is something in the original that would we'll be like, oh. And that's, with that's that what that this one is. review hinted at, at least, mm-hmm. was that it was somewhat of an homage. I'm
0: not mm-hmm. sure. And there are some of uh, the former dancers who are imprisoned who are, you know, hobbling around without feet and without mm-hmm. hands. That so didn't maybe bother me. That didn't bother me, but maybe mm-hmm. those have now – maybe they're on her body.
2: Maybe mm-hmm. that's what those are.
0: But there was not nearly enough time for me to go digging and think, oh, mm-hmm. that hand belongs to that girl over there who's got right. no hand. No, like, you're like,
2: look at that stupid baby doll arm that was like hot glued on that – shit bag yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was a bad costume i don't know
0: well and then miss tanner kept touching her and she never even voted for her and so i was trying to understand was she trying to remain in marcos's good graces Mm -hmm. there's was there so much fear she i did not fear her Mm -hmm.
2: well i wonder because i think marcos was about to get more power like, that was the idea True. of all these witches, right? That they were going to, like, sacrifice that She was going to inhabit
0: or, Susie's, bo- Susie's exactly. body and have a
2: new born yeah. form. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. – but, yeah, when she was hugging on her, I wonder if it was because she was still under the impression that Marcos was in power. I mean, and she really was until the head started exploding.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a poli- it's a, a political shit show. Mm-hmm. That coven was decaying. I mean, there were dancers with no feet and no arms <laughs> – decaying in the corner um so it was this metaphor for corrupt political systems yeah like maybe there's more
2: to that likeness well with some
1: leaders today
2: well kidding. and leaders then too you know and folk <clears throat> means the dance that they perform at the end means the people and during World War II the folk that was the number one most thought of in Germany was the Aryan race. Right. So it's a very 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 toxic political mm-hmm. situation anyway that they're trying I think to create a metaphor. Absolutely.
0: But, I mean definitely. you've got you got German autumn all around them throughout the entire mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. You've got bombs, you know, by the Red Army factions mm-hmm. and you've got this gray color palette that we talked about mm-hmm. before that feels super saturated in in darkness and melancholy and and sorrow. But then you've got these gals Mm -hmm. running around in their silky nightgowns and talking about how much love when Sarah sits down, when Sarah sits down with a psychiatrist, and she talks about how much love there is there and she can't Mm -hmm. even hold what he's proposing to her uh, because it's so different from her experience. Mm-hmm. So what we see as darkness, there is possibility, there is light, um, and there's also an, an unwillingness to see dark truths, which of course we all echoes, are, yeah, it all echoes everything that. that happened during the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that you know, real real fears are considered delusions, and cannot be believed until it is too late, and. I think Dr. Kemper's character really drove that home. And I appreciated Tilda playing uh, a fully human character, um, a man uh, who is grieving for Anka, his wife, who disappeared. I also love the full circle of him imagining that she's there and then ripping it away from her. That was amazing.
2: That was them ripping it away
0: from him and then saying, You had years to get her out of here, you had years to do something.
2: Mm
0: but no one was listening.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No one listened. And it's just this sick cycle. Same mm-hmm. with when the policemen came. They were not taking Patricia's disappearance seriously. Mm-hmm. So he didn't take Patricia seriously, Dr. Kemperer. The police did not take him mm-hmm. seriously. and the And the police then did not take the witches seriously. And they don't take anything seriously. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Except which, for Marcos. Which brings mm-hmm. us
2: back to that penis scene. That was the best witches scene. Like, that's what witches would do. Oh, yeah. That's what they would do. Mm-hmm. That made me... That was, like, one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Ever. Mm-hmm. Because it was so unexpected and just so spot on for what evil... Or not even evil, but just, like, ladies having a little <laughs> fun with the detectives would do if they're witches and they use those... I don't even know, like... Hooks, those like Ice picks. Is it an ice Slender pick? ice picks. I don't know. It's like a witchy ice pick. Yeah. But... I, yeah, I and
1: he
0: we see him later, and he uh, he doesn't seem damaged, so mm-hmm. they didn't hurt his penis. But no, they like just fucked with him a little just bit, having just having a little, around. a little oh, man, laugh. and
2: how they were cackling with him down the hall. Like that was just the best witch scene I've ever seen. It's a pretty intriguing
1: um, and really on the nose call for women in power, and. <laughs> I think that we're all saying that, um, but I'm piggybacking off of what you said earlier, Rochelle, uh, regarding being a witness and being complicit. Um, and they pull the doctor down there to watch this whole thing and he's naked and does nothing and they do nothing to him. He's just there to witness this horrifying event, um, I thought that was really interesting, and I wasn't aware of it. Again, I did a lot of this processing after the fact. Right. Um, but the themes of power and the location of power. And then taking into account that it's a man behind the camera, which is something we haven't talked about yet.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of reviews that were like, oh, wow, I wish a woman could have re- remade it.
1: And I see
0: that, but it was it- – was a celebration, and it was also, I believe, a reminder because we just talked about the fucked up political climate of this coven. So yes, women should be in power because power should be equal, but power is still power, and it and still it is it toxic. Everyone, yeah, like mm-hmm. it it can still exactly, it can still be toxic. It doesn't matter gender or non-gendered power differentials are mm-hmm. they are skewed. They will always be skewed. If we're trying to push it in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the coven had major problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all women all the time wasn't the
2: solution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is beautiful. I have no problems with Guardino's directorial whatever. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> His wanna... approach to directing this film. He did. Again. Yeah. I think all of it. I just really praise all of the things he did. I love how he treated the human body. I loved the penises that he included. I want to do a shout out to this writer,
1: Hazel Sills, from The Muse. Did either of Mm. you come across this article? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I read this article and I should have written down what the article was called. But It was about the erasure of women's work was in the title. We'll link it in the description on the blog post. Um, But she started off having this knee jerk, oh, darn, I wish it would have been a woman since this is so about feminine power and why couldn't there have been a woman behind the camera, yada, yada, yada. But she turned this corner that was so inspiring to me. And it comes back to my yay about Tilda Swinton being a filmmaker and how we minimize the collaboration of filmmaking so frequently Mm -hmm. and give the highest award and accolade to the director. Right. And, um, Luca himself said that working with Tilda Swinton is 100% a collaboration and that she should be built as a filmmaker, particularly in this film, Mm -hmm. because that's what it's like being on set with her. Um, And I just sat with that all night and was so grateful to hear that because there is so much that an actor brings
2: and creates. Right. I mean, that reminds me of A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper, like, Bringing in Lady Gaga and working with her, you know, she didn't necessarily direct that film, but had an impact on like what the films.
1: It should be equal weight. Was yeah. With when you get a, a film like this, because it's not just Luca there executing his vision; it's him wanting to do this and finding the people to equally carry this story and bring it to a place that he could never even fathom. It all ties back into Tilda Swinton. Um, and not taking away power there, even though there wasn't a woman behind the camera. Like, there, there were women at the helm of this project influencing the creation of this film.
0: And I think that Luca's highly aware of what it means to surround yourself with the exact right people. I read somewhere that he had wanted to bring the entire cast from a bigger splash to... The Suspiria cast, uh, but not everyone made it, and ultimately not everyone needed to because Tilda got that going
2: on. Yeah, who would he be who would who else did he want to pull the guy from it? I can't Ray remember Fines. what that actor's name is.
0: Refines. Ray Ray okay. Well, and <laughs> okay. you had mentioned Dakota Johnson and we had talked a little bit about musculature and dancing and what that did for the character and, and silly also. How pulls out. Well, no, I mean, I understand when you recognize something. That should be there, and then isn't. And because things are going so quickly, there's no time to be like, oh, maybe that is intentional, or maybe that works in some way that I've manipulated it to work in my mind because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found her performance to be a wonderful juxtaposition to everything that Tilda brought. I found her to add layers to an unlayered character to a degree. I mean, yes, it's. One thing to to leave your home, to go to another country, to dance, to follow your dreams that you've had since you were a kid, uh, That she's had experiences. But as far as the internal struggle, the internal uh, destiny, the internal end game, I felt that unfold in her presence as Acts 3, 4, and 5 uh, brought us to 6. And I really wasn't surprised that she was a mother. I didn't expect it, but I wasn't surprised because she was so willing to do whatever was necessary and it never felt like a dancer saying, I will do anything for my art. Right. She wanted to be the company's hands. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I thought her performance was really well done. It did remind me a lot of Fifty Shades of Grey, though, like oftentimes I feel like because and it's not even probably a fair opinion to have, but because she's more of this, you know, um, not subordinate, submissive. She's more of the submissive. And I felt like she had a similar like at the beginning of this film kind of mousy role. And then at a point, too, at the very end, I was like, oh, she's back in the red room. Yeah. So I did have moments of that, but it's not even a fair probably judgment. I just they have similar like tiny character nuances that I was picking out. And Stacey and I talked about that with like Kristen Stewart, too. It's hard when you see someone in a trilogy, you know, and that's like who you know them as to separate that sometimes. But I do agree. I think she it was a really subtle, beautiful performance. Yeah, I've I've never seen Fifty Shades of Grey
1: and I'm actually thankful that I was pure <laughs> for Suspiria because um, it is hard with a franchise like that well, especially to remove the character from the actor. So yeah. for me, I agree um, with you, Rochelle. She was so angelic and bigger than every single character in that role without overwhelming anything. There was just something that she brought, and maybe it's just the way her face is structured um, on camera, like the way she looks, the way she's photographed. Uh, But she just felt so uh, bigger than the role was. And so I also wasn't surprised. I was just like, yes, this is how – this is destiny.
0: What a profound (laughs) quality to bring if she's playing mother of size.
2: I know. Yeah. Yeah. She did a great job. Mm -hmm. I just – yeah, and I'm sure it's just like – that's hard to separate just who you are too. You know, it's just like who she is. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I was a little soiled by the Fifty Shades. Mm -hmm. But it didn't take away – really but I'm kind of a dick when it comes to criticizing movies too I'm like oh <laughs> did you actually train for dancing and yes she did everyone for like for a, a year. year and that makeup
1: with Tilda Swinton for Yosef's character I guess that was an 18 month 18 month process makeup process so they just had a lot of time to, to evolve really nail it. it
2: yeah and to get like
1: every liver spot spot on <laughs> I don't even think they
2: had predicted a release date until 2019 like I just read that today
1: they the took produ- their time. Yeah, they, they really took their when
2: time when they cast it. I think it, they started in 2016 and didn't expect it to release till 2019.
0: Yeah, he wasn't announced, I think, until was it Vienna last year? 15 yeah. as director. Because yeah. he was on as producer originally, mm. Luca. Well, and I've just I've had the best time watching uh, his process and the evolution. You know, I was not a fan of a bigger splash, but it obviously created the relationships necessary. And the passionate desire to work together necessary to create Suspiria, and so that helps me appreciate these large criticisms that I have, and I'm able to hold them and then step back and say, "This had to happen." Thank goodness this found funding. Thank goodness there are people out there who love a bigger splash because that enabled him to make, you know my favorite film of 2017, Call Me By Your Name. Can't even talk about it or praise it enough. I'm really mixed about the idea of the sequel in 2020. I'm having a really hard time with that. Uh, But at the same time, now we have Suspiria. And there's a very distinct process in Hollywood that has to be followed to a degree to get you to the point where you get to make a nonconformist film like Suspiria, even though it's supposed to be a remake you said rebirth earlier. A lot of people are calling the entire film a rebirth, uh, and so I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the journey, no matter which parts of it were painful and which parts of it were joyful.
1: And is, he has a family. He has people he which is so loves to work with, looking. and that's what it's about. It's about the collaboration. Because yeah, you can't do it alone.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, it brings in cool people like Tom York. Mm -hmm. To set everything in musical motion. So cool. That
1: was the only thing that I did before as I listened to the soundtrack.
0: I am also wondering what you both thought about Adam Suspiriorum going back to Yosef at the end to let him know what really happened to
2: Anka and then to wipe his memory. What do you think about that? To me, that was her mercy. Mercy to, you know, not injure him or hurt him or do anything to him since he had done nothing wrong, recognizing that he had suffered, telling him the reason or, or the explanation as to why he was suffering about Anka. And I feel like wiping his memory clean was merciful of her in the end because then he no longer had to suffer like his own guilt for not finding Anka or not taking the right steps towards getting her back, you know? She alleviated his pain a little bit, or all the way, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the final brushstroke that finishes the painting of her character um, because she condescends to him that she will remove his memory, which is pretty messed up. But, you know, to her it was removing pain. Um, But then she also makes a point to talk about women being there when his wife died, which is something else that this Hazel Sills points out that I didn't really think about at the time. But she soothes him by saying there were women around her. And then I'll take away your memory so you won't feel pain. So it just really clarifies it it clarifies her character and who she is, mm-hmm. which is a very scary person who has the power to completely erase your life, because she thinks it's the, the good thing to do. It's the merciful thing to do. I mean, it's
2: almost like the like the toxic power peeking in a little bit, potentially. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it's 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 awesome
1: in the true sense of the word. Yeah, like it. It finishes her who she is, and it is truly awesome. It's scary and magnificent. What do you think? I also found it merciful.
0: I also saw it as uh, a a moment to remember the awesomeness of her power. And this this sixth act that we watched. As it unfolded and she rose to power and she punished those who misused power or were enticed by the misuse of power for the sake of power, we watch her be, again, merciful with the young women who were being mutilated mutilated and used for the sake of someone else's survival because they were seen as worthless, essentially, or only worth. The energy source they could provide. Obviously, things have settled because she's now moving about, free to go here and there. She has taken control, I assumed, of the dance company. And she comes to Yosef and she starts the cycle over again by reminding us why we forget and why we think that it's merciful to forget and not have to sit with grief and not have to sit with the memory of persecution and not have to sit with the reality of choices
2: and, and so that's w- where i think the toxicity yeah. of power is like peeking in a little bit like hey don't mm-hmm. forget
0: i'm going to fuck you up eventually well and that's the thing is like if we forget it happens again mm-hmm. and obviously i think mean, these these mothers have been around for a very long time i think that is one thing that marcos's um body and characterization really helped drive home. So perhaps the war, the edges of the war that are still permeating people's lives, um, it's not one war. They've seen many, many come and go in small and large capacities. But yeah, I saw it as going back to that um, poor, negative, harmful political climate. Yeah, just starting the cycle again. And I, I saw as her believing it was merciful. But just like killing someone, because you've you've said, do you want? What do you want? And they say they want to die. Of course they want to die, because everything was taken from them. It's just it's this. Maybe it's not mercy. These things we're seeing as it's mercy compared to Marcos.
1: Mm-hmm. It's yeah.
0: mercy compared to fascism.
1: Yeah, it's the <laughs> ramifications of a dictator, which it doesn't matter how sweet. And pretty. And at one point, um, demonstrating kindness right. to
2: others, they're still a dictator. What about the very end? Because. That's my name. That's Stacy's name. And yeah, I don't understand. Like, is there a hidden metaphor going on in the very, very end? The only thing I caught. In the hidden scene? The, the no, seventh the act. Or or, yeah, not the hidden scene in the credits, but the, the mm-hmm. epilogue. It was the epilogue. Um. The only thing that I picked up in the whole thing is as one of the people that were at his cottage in the country, when they crossed the camera, they were holding a book that said motherhood or oh. mother on it. It said mother something. They had like a mother book in yeah. their hand. And so that makes me feel like, okay, that was something that I need to, to put together for the rest of the film. But what was it? Like, what was the point of that?
1: Yeah, I had a... That was my only nay because it just left this... Um, this taste in my mouth, <laughs> it ended on a note that was confusing to me based on how much emphasis the story gave to the dance company and, and the doctor's story was absolutely woven in there and a part of it, but to have so much emphasis at the end with his and Anka's little heart, you know, on the corner of the house, it felt, um, I was like, yes, that is The conclusion of his story. It's just, it was a weird thing to put at the end. For me, it confused me just a little bit. Me too,
2: because it was in a different timeline, you know? It was like the new owners of the house.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, years and years had passed by. The heart was worn down Mm -hmm. so much. So it had been touched, or weather had gotten to it. And this is, I think, the moment when I felt the sickness, and really it drove home for me what I felt about Mother Suspiriorum taking his memories, Mm -hmm. is that time will go on. Yeah. This will happen again.
1: Yeah, I guess it was so banal, you know? It was so normal. And so it felt out of place, Um, and I guess I was expecting it to say something when it seemingly had nothing to say so then i got confused
0: that makes sense yeah i I think i just i was had that lingering issue with the overall reality of good versus evil and how it doesn't work like that at the end of the film we finish with joseph's non-legacy he had no children this home did not belong to him anymore But it still belonged to someone and someone still existed. And those someones knew nothing about what had happened.
1: Because no one was there to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no legacy in that ending for the coven as well. It's just strangers, though the mother, the book of the mother is interesting. But yeah, it's just so insignificant.
0: And I don't, yeah, we ended with a truly human Person, it's life.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's going,
0: going on, on. Yeah, yeah, it's just on it's just and on. It.
1: That's all it is. <sighs> I c- I really can't wait to watch it again. I know, I agree. Out of all the films we've watched this year, this is the one I'm most excited to watch again. I have to. It's, they have so many questions, and I
0: know it's going to change the next viewing. I will not mm-hmm. watch the original until I resee,
2: until I review
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the 2018 version. Ooh, that's some self control. I'm gonna like watch. The old version tonight. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. But I am really excited to rewatch. I agree with Stacey. Mm-hmm. This is the only one I like. Really want to rewatch. Dying to rewatch. Yeah, it's that slow burn. Mm-hmm. Like leaving the theater, I was like, I don't think I liked it. And then I started remembering like the choreography and the final scene. Oh, I don't know, just everything about it—it's mm-hmm. electrifying, kind of.
1: It makes me think differently about this age of remakes that we're in. This is the first one. Even though Star is Born, I'm so grateful for that film. But this, I don't know, if remakes are going to be like this moving forward or rebirths. This new uh, way of thinking about how we re-envision film and stories and recycle stories. It's pretty exciting.
0: I think that's my takeaway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In the 77 version, Susie destroys the witches and the school. She burns it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, eliminating that power and escaping it. Uh, And in this 2018 ending, the mother rises to claim power Mm -hmm. uh, by writing the order and reinforcing the faith. And in the end, that's not necessarily positive either. Mm
2: -hmm. I know people are very critical about remakes or rebirths, whatever, but I just feel like it's a gift for our generation to -hmm. get good remakes. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. This was probably the best remake. If yeah, I would agree. Except I do love *Star Is Born* too, and it's hard for me to even call them remakes. And that's what um, Argento said um, when <laughs> Luca was trying to when they were figuring out the remake. Um, Argento had said, "You know, if you take too much away, it's not Suspiria." Oh no, if you don't if you don't add anything new, then it's just like, what's even the point? But if you take things away and add new things, it's not Suspiria anymore, which I thought was really interesting. What a hard mm-hmm. transaction to have for mm-hmm. a person. But I feel like letting go of the idea of a remake, you know, and maybe letting it be more of a rebirth where it's just different lessons in a similar package for a new generation to digest. I love that.
1: Yeah, the themes of power are definitely my biggest takeaway Um, and how the setting was so poignant and how it translates to today easily in our Me Too era that we are living in Um, and remaining really objective um, as far as uh, how power can be so quickly mishandled. It's not correlated to our gender. Um, And then the articles that I read outside of that, too, talking about power behind the camera and where we're destroying power, which is doing everyone a disservice. Um, The theme of power is my biggest takeaway for this film. So whether you've seen
0: the 77 Argento original or if you go into the 2018 Suspiria cold. Hopefully, we didn't spoil all of it. We did. We spoiled it we all. We spoiled most all of the of best. All of it spoiled. <laughs>
2: yeah. Done.
0: But mm. ultimately, whatever your experience had been, whether you saw it, mm-hmm. free, no judgments, no expectations, or whether you came into it really wary, hopefully, you've walked away with a, a new experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I sure did. I'm thankful. I'm thankful mm-hmm. for the approach that
1: not seeing the original afforded me. Same. So go see it again and see it cold if you can. If you can. So don't listen to this podcast. Oh. Oh, shoot. You just (laughs) did.
0: (laughs) This has been a Talking to Crows production.